0: You're listening to The Successors Podcast with Kara Oosterhouse on realagriculture.com. Welcome, folks. It's time for episode 13 of the Successors Podcast. I am your host, Kara Oosterhouse. I hope everyone has been managing the winter well, wherever you are. I know for me, the days are getting longer. And let me just say, I am so darn happy that the sun isn't down until 6 p.m. now. Not having to use a headlamp right away to do some chores after work is always a positive and you know, in all honesty, I used to make fun of headlamps, but then I got involved with the livestock world, and I will tell you that, hey, guess what? There's chores in the winter too, so uh, they they may look a little funny, but I, I am now pro-headlamp. Anyways, today's episode is with someone I've had the opportunity to interview many times, But the thing with interviewing is there's always a topic, always something specific we're trying to cover. So I'm very excited to just dive in and learn about a broad spectrum of things today. Without further ado, I've got here Justine Cornelson of Vernon, Manitoba. Justine, how's it going today?
1: Good, good. It's February, it's sunny, and it's above zero right now. So I will take this.
0: (laughs) I know. Here, too, in Southern Alberta, and I I was just kind of thinking you know I don't know if this is good or bad maybe this is this is the time of year when we could use a good dump of snow we'll keep keep holding on for some moisture
1: yeah yeah I'm in the same boat we'll take a little more precipitation I know it's not the ideal timing where you then have to move it and shovel it but we do need moisture so
0: okay so tell me about yourself for the audience who is Justine?
1: (laughs) Wow um Gosh, when you frame it like that, I start to question who am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, professionally, right now, I guess, or in, in career wise, um, I am a, an agronomist. Um, I work for Brett Young Seeds right now. Uh, technical title would be Agronomic and Regulatory Services Manager. Um, so I've kind of got a mix of a role professionally. Um, when I think to myself outside of the work area, I don't know, super outdoorsy, uh, involved with horses, just always on the go and doing stuff. And I think maybe that's what I am known for a little bit is just always on the go. And um, But yeah, gosh, that's, that's a hard question to answer right off the top.
0: <laughs> right off the top. Who, who am I? Does anyone really actually know?
1: Yeah, no that that uh, that one's helped me already. <laughs> we're in for a long, a long conversation here.
0: <laughs> so, of course, we're going to talk about your personal life, but let's start a bit on your professional life. What do you currently do, at Brett? Young?
1: yeah. So, I, I guess I'd be um, best known for my time at Canola Council. Um, that's where I've spent, you know, majority of my um, my time in the egg world is is at the Canola Council of Canada. I was there for almost eight years. Um, right out of uh, my undergrad degree, I received um, a job offer to uh, be the summer student here in Manitoba for Canola Council, um, and that just kind of kept transitioning. Um, from there, I filled a mat leave out in Alberta with Canola Council, uh, and then a position back into Manitoba as an agronomy specialist. So, yeah, that's where bulk of my time has been um, with that and working with council. So many great opportunities to explore agriculture, not only here in, in Canada. But around the globe, um, it opened another door for, for an opportunity for myself to also then take my master's degree. Um, so I spent a little time at the University of Manitoba the last few years um, working towards that. Um, so that's, I guess, the kind of the, the beginning. And like I said, with council, there's just so many opportunities and great experiences to, to meet people in, in different avenues within agriculture. Um, so that, that really is what got me going. Um, when I think back even further, um, a lot of my early jobs and, you know, stuff in between um, uh, universities or over the summer during university, um, I worked for Parks Canada and then also Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Um, so some different government positions there, um, which I guess were kind of my intro into uh, getting my role at Canola Council.
0: So it might not be directly agriculture related. However, I, I love to pick out the little nuggets and I have to ask, what did you do at Parks?
1: the uh yeah parks Canada, so um my dad uh worked for Parks Canada um might consider myself a parkie um he traveled around to different uh to different national parks, and so obviously the family moved too and um he- worked most of his uh, career actually at riding mountain National park, so that's where I grew up. Um, so I was able to get some some summer jobs there. And um, this is probably the, where I really got started interested in plants is um, I was on the gardening crew for Parks Canada. So the the town site in, in Riding Mountain is called the Sagaming. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of the spot in the park. It's, you know, the small scale Bamps. Um but it, it has these beautiful um flower beds all throughout. Um and they really just, you know, supplement all the, the natural beauty that's happening within the, the town site there. But anyway, so I I worked on the gardening crew. The lady I worked for, she could tell you every plant that was in those gardens. She could rattle off the, the scientific name. And I was just so amazed at that. And then to know, you know, where these plants needed to go, um, how much light, how much moisture, what else could they be growing next to, um, it was, she was just a wealth of information. And so I did uh, two summers of that and then um, ended up working in the wildlife lab at Parks Canada. Um, so I, through Brandon University, where I attended my undergrad, I had several different small kind of like mini thesis projects with my role at Parks Canada in the summer. Um, So one was actually looking and identifying all of the small bodied fish on Clear Lake. Um, I know that doesn't sound super exciting by any means, but I had um, all of these different traps around the lake and uh, we were monitoring what species were actually there. Uh, And then the second year I had a um, uh, whitetail deer project and it was actually looking at, um, what the, the white-tailed deer did throughout the summer and when all of the tourists started to arrive. Um, so with Sagaming is it's really a, a summer community. Um, you have it not completely shut down in the winter, but it becomes pretty small, uh, not a lot of tourists. So the summertime, all the campers come, all the RVs come. Um, and so we wanted to know what those deer actually do. So I had a bunch of different colored deer um, and, uh, you know, we were tracking how they would move, where would they would go. And um, when they were having their fawns, they actually moved closer into the, kind of the high concentrated areas um, where the people were. You know, and we figured this was likely because they were trying to avoid other predators um, within the park. So anyway, it, some different projects there, um, lots of great field experience um, got to work on you know work with bears and obviously with like any campground there's always a, a bear issue here in Canada so um got to do different things like that got to really explore the park and all of its natural beauty so that's some um, yeah some of the the different things I did in my past life.
0: So, so you spent a lot of time with both plants and wildlife I, I gotta ask are you more the plants or the animal side what do you prefer?
1: <laughs> um, really tough question again um in in my undergrad, I actually took way more on the animal science, uh, not much for plants. And I have a bunch of horses and a bunch of dogs. So I always love my animals, um, but sometimes plants are a little easier to work with. <laughs> so it's uh, it's kind of a half and half at the moment, but, you know, enjoy bo- working with both. Um, it's I've actually not... I shouldn't say transitioned out of working with people. At at one point in time I really wanted to go um into the, the medical system or the healthcare route and I opted for being outside and working with plants or animals instead. So
0: You mentioned your thesis program and I know we've we've kind of known you as the Black Lake Queen from your time at uh, the Canola Council. Was was black Lake a big big part of your thesis?
1: Yeah, so in my um my master's degree that was the focus. Um Going back, one of my first years in council, I got the opportunity to travel to Australia uh, and work with um, Dr. Stephen Marcroft and Dr. Angela Vandalow. Um, so we, I was able to go there and see the extent of black leg in canola in Australia and how devastating it was. I, I can still picture some of the fields thinking like, wow, this this disease has such an impact here. Um, so they really kind of like stemmed my my curiosity. I love disease surveying. So uh, here in in Western Canada, the the different pr- uh, provinces complete those surveys. So I've helped out in the past, and I really enjoyed that. So I think that's what really uh, got me started and excited about learning more about pest management and, and specifically disease management for crops. So. Coming back and taking everything that I'd learned from Australia, looking at their different rotational systems, their major gene rotation. um, It was something, it was then a project for me at Canola Council to really try to get the industry um, on board with identifying major genes. We've we see it work well there, we see it work well in the lab, um, but what, how is that going to um, work here in Western Canada for growers? So that's what my, my master's project ended up looking at, um, was seeing how effectively major gene rotation uh, in, in canola would work in the field landscape. Um, So that was um, with uh, Dr. Uh, Delantha Fernando at the University of Manitoba. I actually worked with a bunch of different seed companies and we were out um, assessing what the the leptosphera maculin, so the the pathogen that causes blackleg, what those populations were doing when we were rotating and changing through uh, different genes over time in the field.
0: So talk about professionally traveling like that. What what things you kind of maybe learned? Because it is, it is definitely different than, you know, just going to Australia for the sake of going to Australia.
1: Yeah, you know, it it, um, it was my first international trip. So that in itself was just like, wow, I'm going across the globe. This is crazy to think that. I would never have thought I would have been in Australia. Um, so going there and, and going and, and working, of, of course, there's a little play. You've you got to see the land when you're there. But going there and and, and, and working with, you know, the well industry leaders really on the black leg um, front um, was just like I said It's something that will always stay with me and really just stem this creator, not creativity, but this excitement with me to like learn more and find out more and, and realize how severe of an issue some of these diseases can be. And, and you know, and I've been to other production areas and then of course every, every production area has, some sort of challenges um, and you can really learn from what's worked and what hasn't worked in some of these areas and try to implement them back back at home in our in our own cropping systems um, so I, I with all of my work travel that's something that really resonates with me and you know, some of the work we do here is then used in other areas. So it's, it's getting that, that research out and connecting the industry together. I really love when I well, looking at all the work at Canola Council and what other grower organizations are able to do to connect the globe on some of these topics um, is so extremely important because there's a lot of valuable information and experiences out there that we just don't know about yet.
0: You mentioned that it was your first international trip. Did you ever consider not going? Was it a hard jump to decide? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm doing this.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it at first I'm kind of a homebody. Um, when you have animals mm-hmm. at home, you, you've always got responsibility. Um, I thankfully have a really good network at home and and my parents are fantastic. So whenever I'm gone for work reasons, um, they're able to take care of my horses. My, my mom has, you know, I guess as big of a passion for horses as I do. So lots of them are hers as well. So that always works. So it it makes getting on a plane and going somewhere easier, knowing that everything else at home is, is taken care of and, you know, you that you are gonna see something that you've never seen before, experienced before. And um I'll kind of jump forward a few years and I was able to go to um China, um actually to, to Wuhan, um, for an international clubroot workshop. Wow. Um, and same, you know, I, I've dealt with and I've seen club root in Alberta and I've seen our severe cases, but to go and then see just canola production there and to see club root, right, just a complete change in how things are done. Um, you know, you you move to kind of small scale crops. You have obviously land that's being flooded for rice production. And you think of all of the challenges there with trying to control club root. So, what can we learn from that system in China and and make sure that you know we're we're doing here or that we're not doing here in Western Canada to manage that particular disease? You know, and, and when you go to a country like that, um, it just really puts that emphasis on how important food production and make sure you know' ensuring that we are securing um, what we' we're, we're producing here in Canada and that we're making a good quality product because really the the globe is relying on what we're able to do. So like I said, it just all puts it in perspective when you can see other areas and kinda get out of your comfort zone and out of your own home and, and see what else is out there.
0: You mentioned of course your your mom's into horses as well. Did you did you grow up on a farm or an acreage or how did that how did that work?
1: Um, so it's an an interesting story um or situation, but with with my dad having a, a role at parks Canada um i we grew up in um government housing. so I was actually um well born out in Alberta, but my parents at the time were living at um or in Wood Buffalo National Park. Um, and then dad transferred here to Manitoba into Riding Mountain National Park. And um, we grew up at different government stations. And at the time they were park warden stations. Now a lot of them are called district stations and and there's becoming less and less of them um, as times change. But um, the, the original kind of point with the the warden stations were they were established for the wardens to live at and then maintain that park boundary, um, typically for for hunters and things like that, and make sure that there was um, no poaching occurring and, and keeping an eye on on the landscape and what was happening. Um, so that grew up on that and um, at Riding Mountain they had a really strong horse program. So my dad, um, we ended up moving to South Lake Warden Station, which was considered the the park horse station. Um, so my dad grew up on a community pasture in Saskatchewan so he been used or you know grew up with horses and, and and rode lots um so was able to really take that program and and keep it going um keep it going in a time where now we have you know sleds and and ATVs and a lot of the the work is done that way and no longer by horse which is too bad cuz um it's amazing what you can see on the back of a horse um and, and you know exploring the park boundary and or into the park as well um it is just a completely different experience so but yes we we grew up with horses Um, uh, my mom grew up um in bc with uh jumping horses or three-day eventing horses so a lot of horse background and really was, gosh i have pictures of me just as a wee little pike on the back of a horse and um, continue to still ride and compete on horses up until today actually yesterday I rode so
0: did you show growing up were you in 4h or what sort of competitions were you doing?
1: yeah um, a, a mix of things um, started off with horse showing so you'd go to all the little local fairs um, a lot of the small communities in Manitoba would have um, have their fair so not only a horse show but you know they'd have the baking competitions and and everything else that comes together with a small uh, small town fair but um, with with my parents having kind of a Western and an English background, I actually competed in everything. Um, I had a really great horse um, that we um, had, had bought as a young mare, and, and my dad had trained her, and she did everything for me. I still actually have her. She's 29 years old. Um, she she was a little uh, gray quarter horse, and I could jump and barrel race. Like she just did it all. So. Um, so that's really uh, horse showing was the, the start and, and then eventually transitioned into doing 4-H and, and showing through 4-H um, and then um, got into barrel racing and high school rodeo. The the high school rodeo association um, is really intricate um, here in, in Canada, you know, a lot of the provinces have their own provincial association um, and then down in the states, it's massive in the states and So the the national organization is down in the States, so Canada and the U.S. It's all under the same national body, but that uh, really just kind of opened up new doors and opportunities and got to travel, you know, across Canada to compete and also down into the States at the national show. Um, And haven't really looked back since. That's kind of been the focus is is, uh, rodeo events and, and definitely barrel racing.
0: How many rodeos would you do in a year? Do you have any idea?
1: Uh, it's so well with COVID I haven't done much rodeoing in the past. I've I've really moved into barrel racing and um you see a lot of added money into barrel um just they're called um three D barrel racing or four D. Um these events are huge now. Um, because you get so many entries and they pay out people that, you know, the top running horses, but also the horses that run a half a second or a second or two seconds off the pace. So it really splits up the money and that's how you end up with massive entries. So kind of last year, kind of a somewhat normal year, lots of people were keen to host events. So I could, and even in Manitoba, go to a barrel racing, you know, two or three nights a week and and then definitely every weekend sort of starting like April all the way through to October. Manitoba, colder winters, so we don't do as much in the wintertime. But in Alberta, there's jackpots and, and lots of things going on. Um, so there's it's becoming more and more, and we're able to actually continue riding and um, competing when the mild uh, conditions are around.
0: So how many or- horses do you currently keep around right now? Or are
1: they just for barrels? Josh, I try not to count them because it's always just alarming <laughs> when I do, but I think I'm around... <laughs> I think I'm around fifteen, give or take. Um we've got a few uh older horses that are on retirement, so they're just out grazing. I I own a um a quarter horse stallion with my neighbor. Um his registered name is High on Heyday. Um his barn name is Sully. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I'm barrel racing him, but we also do breed. So um, we collect off of him and we'll ship um, ship semen around um, for, for people that are interested for their mares. So I do have a, a little bit of a breeding program. A few mares that we, we cross on him, um, but a lot of the the young stuff that I have or or the, the horses that I'm running currently um, are are typically four barrel racing. One thing that's really kind of taken off in the last ten years are, are barrel um, horse faturities. So what a faturity is that it? it it allows horses of the same age to compete together. Mm-hmm. So they can't run until their five year old um, year. So horses' birthdays they're they're all classified as January first. So as of the new year, my my stud is now five, so I'm able to compete on him um, in barrel faturities. And then there's derbies, which are for six and seven-year-olds. So there's typically a kind of a bigger entry fee, a larger prize purse um, that's up. Um, And yeah, you get horses of the same age, so they should have kind of the same background, background experience. But yeah, it's, uh, there's like, there's just so many new opportunities there. Um, and that's just barrel racing alone. Um, there's still lots of rodeo associations, both pro, semi-pro amateur. Um, so I've, I've competed at different levels there. Um, my brother's a team roper. So there's big money added team ropings all across, you know, Western Canada and down to the States as well. Um, so there's, Kind of whatever whatever you wanna do, there's that opportunity now, and it it's like I said it's really taking off on all the people that are wanting to host events, which is so great to see. Um, you know, with, after COVID, there was a bit of concern that a lot of people just weren't going to have that push or that ambition to host things. And and a lot have come back in full swing. So, so great. And and like I said, I take every opportunity with my horses to go somewhere. And I said, if kind of all week you're at work and trying to hit up jackpots in the evening and then gone somewhere kind of on the number one across the prairies, trying to hit up um, some bigger events pretty well all summer long.
0: And do you head down to the States too, or do you typically stay in Western Canada?
1: normally Western Canada. Um, last year I, I did take, um, the, the stud Sully down to Oklahoma. So the, the barrel faturity season starts November 15th. So a little earlier than that January 1st, but, um, that's the first official uh, faturity of the year and it's called the barrel faturities of America. Um, so I did haul him down there. It was really great. That was my holidays for last year. So it was great to, to get down there it was an amazing experience to ride. Um, with the top maturity horse trainers in the world. Um, so you had, um, you know, ladies and men there that, that that's their profession. Like that's what they live and breathe as, as training horses. You had ladies there that were then competing at the national finals, rodeo in Vegas, you know, two weeks down uh, or after that event. So, it was just like I said, an amazing experience to see the horse power um and the talent of not only horses and trainers um so I just took so much in from that entire experience so I'm excited that things are going to start gearing up here in, in in western Canada and more events are going to start up um so I'm, I'm just in the process of getting my horses legged, legged up and ready to compete but um it, it's easy to head down into the States and, you know, it's way quicker for me to hit up something down in North Dakota or even Montana than it is to actually drive out to Alberta. So it is something that I'll probably continue to do is keep jumping across the border.
0: You mentioned a brother. Do you only have one sibling?
1: Yeah, I've got one younger brother. Um, He is an electrician in Brandon Um, mentioned the horse component there. So um, he's very active in, in riding as well, mainly team roping horses, um so he's head horses and, and competes on both the heading and healing side of things. So um yeah, very very active in, in the horse world.
0: So to jump around I realize I'm going a million different directions here, but your time as a as a parkie as you call it. Is that like an army brat by the way? What like what is a parky? <laughs>
1: the uh yeah parky that's um you know what we would consider the locals um or people that have worked for for parks canada you're you're a parky you know if you spend all your time in the town site right, or in 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 with um with uh parks canada at different points in time you'd wear the well, when I worked there, it was the awkward green and red, like the Christmas color uh, <laughs> outfits for Parks Canada staff. So, yeah, that, that was that was the term for the, the locals. We were the parkies. But um, the so the where we grew up or where I grew up was right, um, right on the edge of the park boundary. So the it was it, it's government land, but not I guess it was just outside of the park a riding mountain park boundary but still federal crown land but it was a neat kind of oasis of i was right next to clear lake um so you've got this untouched area natural land and then riding mountain itself is then surrounded by agricultural land so it was neat that you know i kind of had a mix of both worlds so you had a real natural um experience but also then surrounded by by farming um and you know different challenges um when i I looked to parks canada at the time and and riding mountain um tb was a really big thing in in the the elk population but also then your surrounding cattle herds right and and so taking taking those types of each you know Issues and, and working together to kind of find some common ground and some solutions. Part or riding mountain kind of sits up well, it's a mountain, <laughs> so it's on the high ground. So everything, all the snow um, melts out of riding mountain and then drains off. Um, so then you had overland flooding issues, right? So, kind of uh, trying to, to work with, with the farmers and the park staff to, you know, to solve a lot of these issues was a really neat. Um, experience to have growing up and actually then to work in it too as, as being a, a, a staff member of Parks Canada. Um, a lot of different moving parts and components and people that needed to be involved to help find some common ground on, on some of those issues.
0: Is that what got you involved in ag or what kind of made you make that jump to decide you were going to do your undergraduate?
1: Yeah, you know what I, I was really undecided. Um I I knew I wanted to go to university. I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do and um you know I, I had kind of went the r- route of just general sciences. Um was fortunate enough to get the job at Parks Canada over the summertime in between years. Um just like that was my my few months at home. I was still able to ride, but able to work and then pay for my next year of university. Um, when I, when I got the job at agriculture or agriculture and agrifood Brandon, um, I actually worked that throughout the university year, um, which was great. I would just go when I wasn't in classes and I worked in the barley breeding program there. So I, I got another, just really hands-on in a different aspect of, of agriculture, um, I think at that point I was still really dead set on on trying to do something um, in the medical field. I wasn't sure what, and, and I did some job shadowing. I actually got in um, got into the occupational therapy program in Winnipeg after my three year degree, and did some job experience and was like, no, I like I I have to be outside. I can't I can't do this. So I went back for my fourth year, just kind of like, what else do you do? I like I. I'm at a loss right now, and I, I must have been almost done, and I, I still didn't have a job, and, and someone had mentioned this canola council one, and uh, that you know it's it's outdoors and hands on, and you know, you're, you're not selling anything. You're just providing information. I'm like, okay, that, like that, that sounds like something I could do. And we always joke at Canola Council when I, when I started was, you know, what I, the only thing I really knew about canola was, it was the yellow crop that my neighbors grew and <laughs> my mom used it to make cookies with. <laughs> like, um, So it is kind of think about that and where I'd come from and, you know, just, all the experience and the training just throughout my, my years with canola council um, has really, I guess developed me into the person I am today. Um, I, I, I don't know what it was with egg. I just, I was so, I guess so wanted to be outside and, and agriculture to me, I always thought sales um, and I'm not a salesperson. I cringe as soon as I like, start thinking about it, but um finding this extension world within agriculture just really um, resonated with me. Um, you know, when you do all the little job or, you know, what you should do type quizzes, I can't remember what the actual name of them is, you know, it always, on mine, it always come back as a teacher. Mm. Um and I was like, this is, you know, this is a way for me to, to teach and be involved and share knowledge with other people in this type of extension role. And, and I'm still able to do that today in my current role. Um, you know, I'm, I'm able to take take research and work with researchers and, and capture it and, and provide it to, you know, sales teams that need that information to do their job with now. Um, that's something I, I think that I maybe... I shouldn't say excel in but really enjoy is, is taking these different concepts and, and and helping to apply them and make them more useful on farm or within other people's roles to help spread that information.
0: Is that your favorite part of the role right now, would you say?
1: Yeah, you know what, I'm loving the diversity. Um, at at Brett Young I'm able to work with, you know, not only canola now, but also get to work with soybeans, corn, turf grasses, forages. So I'm I'm loving this I guess for myself, learning about all of these new crops and applying, you know, your basic agronomy to it and, 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 you know, just exploring it really. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, one of the aspects of my job that I I do really enjoy. And and I, I kind of then translate that over to my horses as well. I love, Training young horses and, and watching them progress and learn. Um, so it, it's something about that, like so that extension world or that education that I, I just really enjoy. Um, I, I find that I kind of dive into topics and and really try to get a, a good understanding of them. And you just can't. Um, there's just so much out there, um, and and it kind of comes back to then that resourcefulness. Um, you know, I know I'm not going to know absolutely everything about forages but there's some specialists out there that live and breathe that so developing that relationship and and learning um from those that are the specialists or that are doing the research in this type of work and like i said taking it back to barrel racing i do the exact same thing i'm always learning we want to i want to ride with different people i want to learn from their experiences and and see how i can then better my training style um and and applying it to, to horses and like i said just kind of back and forth between that That work-life balance, there's a lot of similarities there.
0: You mentioned, you know, at the beginning, we were talking kind of how you weren't really sure what you were going to do and how you jumped in. you, You got that job offer to go to the council. Talk about, you know, do you have any advice to anyone that's listening that might be taking their degree right now, you know, and they have potential job offers on the table, but they're going... You know, I don't actually know a ton about canola. Is this a job I can take?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So, you know, you've taken a, a non—what I would consider a non-farm girl—threw her into canola production and understanding the ins and outs of it. And and when I look to my classes and and Sam, I don't have a your—I guess your general egg degree by any means. Um, I they just they still just don't teach you those in-depth things right it's really high level um you can you cover a lot of different crops and, and i've done a bit of teaching at the u of m um, for for um oh gosh uh disease management type courses or epidemiology so you know you're learning about all these different diseases you just can't take all of that information in um, you know it, it, as long as you've heard it mentioned once or twice before you at least kind of know the direction to maybe find out more about it but for anyone that's you know, questioning, you know, take those opportunities, jump into something that's, that's going to challenge you. And I actually just read Atomic Habits, which is by James Clear, really great book it was for good those one. that are wanting. Yeah, right. It's a motivation. And, and the thing that I guess really stuck to me, was you know taking on these challenges that are of manageable difficulty. So something that sits kind of on the edge or that perimeter of your ability is so crucial for you to then for for you to maintain that motivation to try and do it better or learn more about it. And I think that's what I've done my entire career is. I'm just I'm pushing and, and just looking for a little bit more and that keeps you so engaged and excited about the work you're doing and these new opportunities and thinking back, gosh, it's almost now 10 years ago, taking that full-time position or that Matley position out in Alberta, like I left home, I left a bunch of my horses behind, I moved out there for this council role and I'm so grateful that i did because it just opened up so many other um doors and, and the people i got to meet and work with and still get to do that um it, it's just it, it, it's so amazing so i guess you know take the risk and, and open up those new doors and explore them because there's some pretty cool opportunities out there
0: on the topic of reading i know you're a big nonfiction reader as well what what have you got open on your desk right now
1: uh it's actually a and a little strange but it it's um when the world stops shopping um and it's by um gosh what's his name mckinnon can't, can't think of his first name but it it um it is a kind of you know what if what if it just stopped what happens how what would the impact be who would thrive who wouldn't um a lot of thought provoking um ideas there um the one there's one whole chapter on light pollution. You know that's the one type of pollution that we can reverse, and it's just a matter of turning off the lights. Um, I was counting intersections last night on my way back from the Super Bowl, and I'm thinking, huh, okay, if this doesn't have lights, you know, how would that increase the risk of traffic accidents? Would they stay the same? You know, how? What lights could we actually turn off across our landscape and be okay without? But anyways, a, a, a different type book. Yeah, no, that that sounds
0: fascinating. It's always interesting to get those uh those thoughts going when we can. Okay, any other messages you would like to send someone who may be listening?
1: We're ending on a tough one again here, Kira. <laughs> start
0: tough end. Tough. Um,
1: yeah, we start off really tough with the who am I and uh yeah. where do I
0: fit into this world?
1: I'm sitting in my office right now and I've I've got this map and it says life is an adventure. And of course, it's what i I'll call myself very basic here. It's a map where I can stick all those pins in where I've been, where I want to go, and I've got all my travel pictures from every trip. I've got a different kind of well know eight different pictures per theme and 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 I think that's you know one of the key things is just enjoying life's adventures, taking in these opportunities, exploring the unknown um you know it's just gonna keep pushing and motivating yourself so for for anyone that's just getting into agriculture that that may not be from an ag background this community is is so well knit and and really can take you in so many different directions. So I, I really encourage, um, you know, especially new, new students and, and, and people entering the industry, to just embrace it all, take in all of those opportunities, because um, you'll never know where you might end up within this egg egg um, community. Um, and like I said, I, but the people I've been able to meet and interact with, there's so much knowledge there, and and just kind of soak it all in, ask questions. Um and just keep keep exploring. What's
0: next on the travel list?
1: Uh, well like, gosh, uh there's lots of horse travel in this upcoming <laughs> year. But I've I've got a few pins. I would really like to um actually go to Norway, Sweden, in that neck of the woods. So yeah, I'm thinking another Europe trip is, is needed here soon. Awesome.
0: Okay, well thank you very much for your time, Justine. It was it's always great to catch up.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic chatting with you, Kara.
0: And thanks, of course, as always, to all of you who tuned into episode 13 of the Successors podcast. I very much appreciate the support. You know, I always say you can reach out to me if you have any suggestions on guests, but the same goes for topics. Anything specific you'd like to learn on the Successors, maybe something that I touched on with a guest that you would love if we would dive in deeper, please send me an email K O S T E R H U I S at realagriculture.com. Until next time, stay real, and thanks for listening to The Successors.